Well, we finally arrived. The final sermon in our sermon series, Soul Shepherd. This is week eight of an eight-week series. It's been a really wonderful eight weeks for me as I've prepared this series. I've heard from many others who said that this has been life-changing for them. I hope it's been that way for you. Soul Shepherd has been dedicated to answering a single idea in your heart that I've proposed to you via two questions each week. We call it the big idea here at the church. The big idea that I hope you'll consider one final time with us is this. Do you know the soul shepherd and does he know you? As time marches on and the world draws closer to the picture that Jesus said it will look like just prior to his return. Questions like these are essential. They're not something that you can put off. And so I've been examining my heart to make sure, do I know him the way that this tells me a truly born-again Christian should know him? Does he know me? I don't want to be fooled. There's so many things in my life where I've been, so many occasions where I've been fooled, thought I believed one thing and only came to discover that I was wrong. I can't be wrong about this. just can't be. My goal has not been to give those of you who are truly saved a, a period of fear or trembling each Sunday morning. I don't want you to doubt your salvation. My goal has been to drive that blessed assurance home deeper with you so that you would know for sure that your salvation is rooted in Him and not in anything you've done. But my other goal has been that those who may not know the Lord would be honest before Him and that they may come to the realization that if they were to die, they wouldn't know for sure if they would end up on the right side of human history. As we've said week by week, human history is coming to a close. There is a final day on God's calendar. And when that day comes, Jesus will separate the whole world into two camps. His sheep, those who know Him, and what He called the goats, those who don't know Him. You want to be one of His sheep. And so we've had a model, a template that we've been looking at. We've been looking at David. The 23rd Psalm, the most famous psalm in human history. The shepherd's psalm. And why that psalm? Well, because David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I know him. And then a little later in the scriptures, the Lord says, David is a man after my heart, I know him too. So there's a template. All we have to do is go through all the little ways that David says he knows the Lord. And then we have to ask, do I know him? The way that David knew him. So week by week, that's what we've been doing. Week one, we looked at the soul-satisfying shepherd. And we simply asked the question, is Jesus the ultimate object of your desire? Because it was for David. He was king. He had everything you could ever want in life. But he said, what I truly desire is the Lord. Do you know him that way? Week number two, the soul-soothing shepherd. When the storms of life arise, where do you turn to alleviate the pain, the stress, the anxiety, the worry, where do you go? David went to the Lord. 
Do you know him? Do you know the soul-soothing shepherd? Week three, the soul-restoring shepherd. David's dead soul was made alive, restored to a new soul that desired the Lord. Has your soul been restored? Have you been born again? I invite you, if any of these seem confusing to you, go back and listen to those messages. You owe it to yourself. Week number four, we looked at the soul steering shepherd. We asked a simple question, do you follow Jesus? You want to be in the driver's seat of your life? You can't follow him. He doesn't give you that option. If you're going to be a Christian, you have to get out of the driver's seat. You're no longer in control. He says you do. That's how this relationship worked with David. It's how this relationship works with every Christian. Who's steering this relationship? Week number five, the soul assuring shepherd. What has persuaded you? This is a great time to ask that. During a virus, a pandemic, crashing economies. What has persuaded you enough to earn your trust? David said, when he walks through dark valleys like a pandemic or cancer. When he walked through those dark valleys in his life, leading up to the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death, what persuaded him, what earned his trust, was the Lord. He didn't put his hope anywhere else. What has persuaded you? It's a good time to ask that, don't you think? Week number six, the soul-correcting shepherd. David didn't despise the discipline of the Lord. He said it brought him comfort. The rod and the staff, they comfort me, David said. Because I know that if the Lord is disciplining me, he's treating me as a son. Do you feel that way when God has disciplined you in your life? If he's disciplining you now for sin in your life, are you angry with him about it? Or do you say, Thank God that he disciplines me because discipline means I'm not an illegitimate child, but I truly belong to him. Do you think that way? David did. Do you know the shepherd he knew? And finally, last week, week number seven, we looked at the soul blessing shepherd. David described his relationship with the Lord as an overflowing cup. His soul, pictured as a cup, was overflowing with blessing. If you know anything at all about David's life, he lived a hard, hard life. There was constant turmoil, much of it brought on by his own sin. Nevertheless, he described it as a life filled filled with blessing, an overflowing cup. There are people down through church history. I showed you one last week. Her name is Johnny Erickson Tata. She's a paraplegic confined to a wheelchair all of her life. And she defines her life the same way as David. Because if you know the shepherd, you would never describe your life as anything other than an overflowing cup. All is grace. The very fact that you're watching this right now, you know a blessed life. Do you know him? Do you really know him? Now's the time to be sure. Before we begin our final sermon in this series.
Let's go to him together. And if you're watching this, and there's an inclination in your heart that you may not know him, come to him now and be honest before him. Let me lead you. Father, I'm thinking specifically of that person who's watching this, who may have attended church all their life. But they know, as I've described the shepherd that David knew, they don't have any experience at all like that. Or if they do, they're just shallow experiences. Maybe borrowed experiences from a faithful mom or a faithful dad or a grandfather or a friend or a grandmother. But they've never experienced the Lord like that on their own. Father, I pray that you would give that person an awakened soul. That you would truly open the eyes of their heart by indwelling them by the power of the Holy Spirit. Only then, only then, when the Spirit comes in, can someone truly come to know the Lord. So I pray that you would do what only you can do. I can preach, I can deliver Bible lessons, but only the Spirit of God can make something happen can make a dead soul come to life. Would you regenerate someone this morning, I pray, dear God, in the name of Jesus and the power of that name. Amen. Psalm 23, one last time. Let's read it together on the screen. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And now we turn our attention to the final portion of the shepherd's psalm. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David has just finished describing his relationship with his shepherd. Please remember, as we draw this sermon series in for a close, this psalm is a man's description of, of his personal relationship with the Lord as his personal shepherd. David has just finished describing his entire life with the Lord as an overflowing cup. If we want a summary of what this psalm is like and what it's all about, it's a man whose soul has been so touched by a shepherd who loved him so perfectly That he would describe his entire life as one long overflowing cup of blessing. His shepherd knew when he needed needed to lie down and rest. And he provided a grassy place for him to do it. His shepherd knew when he needed refreshment. And he provided it for him. His shepherd knew when he needed discipline. And he loved him enough to treat him as a father to a son. His shepherd knew when his soul... Needed a personal touch. And now, after all of the experiences that David has had with the Lord as his shepherd, 
the tender touches, the stern hand of discipline, the gentle leading toward the still waters, the steering of his life. David is contemplating how many times he's walked away. There's a shift. There's another shift in the writing. I'm telling you that when David describes, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Some translations say, follow after me. I'm telling you, there's a shift in David's writing. I'm telling you, this author is sitting in that grassy place, perhaps, and he's writing about his relationship with the shepherd, and a shift has happened. Oh, how many times I've walked away. Oh, how probable it is that I will walk away and wander again. Paul would have said if he had written this wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? I'm telling you, that's what this writer David is thinking. Now you may be thinking, if you're a conscientious Bible student, where does this young pastor get off saying that the writer here is contemplating walking away or how many times he's wandered from the the shepherd? Good question. Stick with me. I need to bring you into the Bible classroom or the seminary classroom and show you why I'm 100% certain, certain that that's what's on David's mind. When he says, goodness and mercy shall follow after me all the days of my life. I put a screenshot for you of what this singular word, it's translated as a phrase in the English, but it's a word, in the Hebrew, what it actually means or translates out to. I took a screenshot of my Mac and I put it on your screen. You've got to see this, okay? This singular word, radaf, it's translated and most often used in the Hebrew as pursue or to chase after. It's also used in the context of persecution. Please. Look at the verse again with the definition that I've just given you of the word radaf and come to a new and complete understanding of what this author is saying. Surely goodness and mercy shall radaf pursue me, chase after me all the days of my life. David has in mind a lost sheep. A sheep who is prone to wander, like himself. A sheep who, even though he knows the shepherd has been so good to him, he knows the desperate condition of his own heart. He knows how desperately sick it is because he himself wrote that. And he knows that even though the shepherd treats me with such goodness and mercy, even though the shepherd has treated me in a way that no one else has ever treated me in my life with such perfect devotion and loyalty. I know my heart. I know it's going to wander away again. I know it will. He has in mind a shepherd who will not stop ever seeking after him. He has in mind a shepherd who is so perfectly committed to seeking after him all the days of his life, pursuing him with goodness and mercy, even when David has wandered away for the 1,000th time. This shepherd will not stop. 
coming after Him. His love is that pure. His commitment to loving you is a stronger commitment than your commitment to sinning against Him. All the days of your life, He will come after you. He is the soul-seeking shepherd. And I have to ask, do you know a shepherd like that? That's the eighth and final facet of the soul shepherd David wants to introduce you to. Do you know the soul-seeking shepherd? And does he know you? This morning there are two truths that I want to show you from the mind of David about this facet of the soul shepherd. Let's get started right away with truth number one. The soul shepherd relentlessly pursues his lost sheep. He relentlessly pursues his lost sheep. Look back at the first part of verse 6. 6a. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow, pursue, chase after me all the days of my life. Now remember how I told you just a few moments ago that this word radaf, radaf, to pursue, to chase after, is also used in the context of persecution? Same word. Same word. So, Radoff can mean someone whose commitment to loving you is so strong that they won't stop seeking after you to do goodness and mercy. But it can also mean someone whose commitment to killing you is so strong that they won't stop hunting you. <laughs> David. David knows what it is to be pursued and chased after by a man whose hatred is that strong. Someone hunted this man. The guy who's writing Psalm 23, someone hunted David like an animal. And guess which word he used to describe it? Guess which word is used to describe it? Take a look. 1 Samuel 23. And Saul and his men went to seek him. Stop right there. David is hiding. You might say he's lost. He's wandered away. He's hiding in a cave. Someone's coming after him. Keep reading. And David was told. So he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after Radoff. He chased him. He hunted him. He hunted David in the wilderness of Maon. Some have estimated... That this hunt went on for years. We don't know exactly. But for years. Saul hunted, pursued, chased after David. Because the intensity of his hatred was so strong. His commitment to doing harm to David was so strong. That he would stop at nothing until he got him. And with that same mindset, David writes... That, that is the only picture that I can think of, of the goodness and mercy and the commitment that the Lord has to do goodness and to show mercy to me. The commitment that He has to follow me all the days of my life. He will not stop pursuing after me, chasing after me, because His longing is to show me goodness and mercy. So that I will offer him the praise that Saul hungered after. 
Saul hungered for people to adore and praise after me. And he would kill anyone who threatened that ultimate mission. So too, dear Christian, the shepherd of God is so worthy of our endless praise that he will stop at nothing to do goodness and mercy to people like David and people like you so that it will produce in you an endless love for the one who chases after you to show you goodness and mercy. Do you see? Let's go right to the shepherd's mouth, shall we? I want you to see what the ultimate purpose of Jesus was when he came to the earth. Why did he come? What was his ultimate mission and goal for his sheep? Take a look at what Jesus said himself in Luke chapter 15. Wanting to help his students understand what his whole purpose was, Jesus said this. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after, pursue, chase the one that is lost until he finds it? Do you see what he's saying? He's saying he lives for the lost. Just as Saul's commitment to seeking David when he was hiding was so strong that he would stop at nothing, so too is the soul shepherd, Jesus. So too is his commitment to finding the sheep who are hiding, whose souls are so lost they don't know how to be found. He came to the earth to seek and save that which was lost. And he will stop at nothing Even after his sheep are found and they continuously walk away, he will stop at nothing to keep relentlessly going after you. In case you don't know, the whole reason Jesus came to the earth was to go after his lost sheep. It's a rescue mission. He came to find his sheep that are scattered about through the corridor of time to get them, to do good to them, to show them mercy when they don't deserve it, and to bring them home. And he has sheep all over the world. He first came to the Jews, Jews like David, God's chosen people. But he has other sheep like me, thanks be to God, and like you. No matter your race, no matter your gender, no matter if you have no friends, no matter if you think no one loves you, his commitment to showing you goodness and mercy is firm and he will stop at nothing to bring you into his fold. No matter who your parents were, where you were born, he will come and get you. That's what he meant when he said, look on your screen, I have other sheep, not just Jews, not just chosen ones, abandoned ones. I have other sheep. They are not of this fold. They're not Jews, he's saying. I must bring them also. Do you hear the commitment in his voice? I won't stop. I won't stop. 
No matter how deep their wandering goes, no matter how far lost they are, I won't stop. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. They'll hear through preaching like this. Maybe you're hearing them now. He's coming after you. And he won't stop. So there will be one flock. One shepherd. Here's the point. Both David and Jesus are making. The Son of Man came for lost, broken people. That's it. You want to know the mission statement of the soul shepherd that David knew? That's it. Look on your screen. Jesus said himself, here's his mission statement. For the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came. Why did you come? To seek and to save the lost. So let's ask the $10 million question, shall we? Why does he chase after David? Why does he bother? Why is he chasing after you? Why does he bother? Why did he come to seek and save the lost? Why does goodness and mercy follow David, chase after him, pursue him all the days of his life? What does God expect from me? You may be asking, I followed you along, preacher, for eight weeks now. And I've been asking that question, do I really know the Lord? Does he really know me? Well, how do I know? What does he expect from me? If you've been saying that there are going to be people who've been sitting in church all their lives, who will come to find out that they never knew the Lord and he never knew them, how can I know? If I'm one of his lost sheep that have been found, how can I know? What does it look like to get caught? Ask the question. How do I know if I'm still a lost sheep? How do I know if I'm lost? Or how do I know if I'm one of the found ones? I want you to see from the mouth of God himself. Through the writing of Paul. What is it? What is God's goodness and mercy and kindness and compassion supposed to produce in someone that it did in David? That it will produce in every found sheep. If you know the answer to that, you will know if you are one of his sheep. I'm going to show you in two different translations so there cannot be any misunderstanding. First, the English standard says this about what his kindness, goodness, and mercy is intended to produce in you. Romans 2, chapter 4, or verse 4. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness? David, Luke, whoever you are, do you presume on his kindness and forbearance and patience? Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Now, this is such a critical idea that I want you to see it in a paraphrase. Here's what the New Living Translation says. Don't you see? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin So what does it look like when a sheep is found? What does it look like when someone, when a soul knows him and that soul is known by him? Surrender. It's a white flag. His goodness, his mercy 
It chases after people like David and people like you and people like me whose souls are so rancid with a stench that no one else would ever want to go near it if they could get inside and come into close proximity of the decay of the human soul. But his commitment, his relentless pursuit of that soul is so strong, so irresistible, that if you are a sheep, you will find that pursuit irresistible. Irresistible grace, if you've ever heard that term, is a true doctrine. His sheep find his pursuit unable to be resisted. Have you ever been pursued by somebody that relentlessly? Has anybody who's gained access to the true you and discovered the depth of your depravity, you know the thoughts that have gone through your head throughout your life. Sexual thoughts that are so distorted that if anybody ever got inside your head, they wouldn't want to be around you. Thoughts of evil. Thoughts that you've had that you've wanted to intentionally harm someone. A stench so disgusting it's like a decaying body that's been in a tomb. No one would want to be around that except him. And he comes after you. He goes into the filth and he rescues you and loves you anyway. In spite of your sin, He died for you. While you were yet a sinner. So filthy. And He says, even after I've come after you and showed you my grace, you'll still wander away, and I will still come after you. It's irresistible. That kind of love and grace. And what's the only response? The white flag. I surrender. I surrender to a shepherd who would love me so perfectly in spite of me. There's nothing that I could do but drop to my knees and keep coming back to the foot of a cross of a man, a God-man, who would love me that perfectly. That's the only response that David could possibly have. That's the only response of a sheep. You want to know if you know him? Have you surrendered? A found soul is a surrendered soul. Do you know him? Do you know the shepherd who relentlessly pursues your lost soul like that? Do you know him? Final truth that I want to show you this morning. Truth number two is what happens when he finds a sheep? What does he do for that found sheep? You don't want to miss this. Truth number two. The soul shepherd joyfully carries his found sheep home. Look back with me at verse six, part B, the very last statement of this psalm. He says, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'd like to ask you now, if you could, please narrow or restrict your focus to that phrase. The house of the Lord. 
This does not mean in this Hebrew poem what you might think it means. David is not referring to a dwelling place like a house like this, a brick and mortar. He is referring to a family name. Let me illustrate. Put a couple of pictures on your screen of how this would apply in my life. This first picture is not the house of Fraser. This is the house where I live. This is the parsonage that the church extends to my family to live in. The roof that's over our head. That's not the house of Fraser. This is the house of Fraser. This is my family. These are those who share my family name. But if we were to zoom out from this even further, this is the house of Fraser. These are those who would come under that family lineage. There are many, many others if we were to zoom out even further. As a matter of fact, I looked into this, this this week. If we were to zoom out into the Scottish history of the name Fraser, of which my identity falls under, this is the seal of that family name. I was delighted to see this this week. I'd never seen this before. This is the seal or the family crest of the name Fraser. Take a look. So the house of Fraser or the house of Jones or the house of Smith or whatever your last name is, is the family name that claims your identity. The house of the Lord that David is referring to is defined like this. I put a definition up on your screen. This is my own definition. If you don't like it, you can call me or write me and we'll talk about it. This is what the house of the Lord is referring to. It's referring to a familial identity. To which the soul belongs. The more paralleled western concept is that of a household. Think of the concept that David is trying to explain. Now with the more concise understanding of a household. And I shall dwell in the household of the Lord forever. This concept is used all the time by book writers, novel writers and movie script writers. I think the most popular of which was the concept that was taken by J.K. Rowling. If you don't know who that is, she is the acclaimed author of the Harry Potter series. I've said in sermons past that the Harry Potter series is the best-selling novel series in history. And I've also become convinced that J.K. Rowling used a lot of biblical concepts in her writing. And this is one of them. If you know anything about the books, or anything about the movies, there's a concept of this dwelling in the house idea that Rowling uses. Very quickly, let me tell you about it. When a student comes to the school in her stories, they are placed under a sorting hat. And that hat... The objective of the hat is to look down deep into the student's identity and assign them to a house. And that house will become that student's family. It is now their household. They will be known by that house. Church, she took the idea directly from this biblical concept that's coming from David. When David says, and I shall dwell in the household of Jehovah. What he's saying is, from this day forward, 
I will be known for him. I will be known by him. I will be forever identified as one of the household members of Jehovah. No longer will I be known simply as David, the king of Israel. I am one of the household members of the creator God. And you might be at home thinking, well, good for you, David. (laughs) What does that have to do with me? Little me sitting at home in my living room or listening to this in my car stuck in traffic. I'm no king. That's great for David, but what about me? Oh, Christian, listen to what the shepherd has to say about all of his sheep. David knows that he will dwell in the household of the Lord forever. Here's what Jesus wants you to know. Jesus does not. He will not. He cannot lose any one of his household members. His commitment to finding, carrying, and keeping those sheep that he has found forever is so firm that not even you can do anything that would keep the shepherd from keeping you forever. You will dwell in the household of the Lord forever and there's nothing that any spirit Or power under heaven can do about it. I want you to see the words of the shepherd himself. Luke 15, Jesus says this. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? He doesn't lose a household member. Keep reading. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep. Stop right there. My sheep. This is an identity marker. My sheep means you belong to the house of the Lord forever. I will find you. And once I found you, you're marked as mine. You will dwell in my house forever and there's nothing that anyone can ever do about it. This is the greatest verse in the Bible. Keep reading. For I have found my sheep that was lost Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven. That's the house of the Lord. Over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons, at least they think they are, who think they need no repentance. Listen to me, Christian. Jesus, the soul shepherd, he goes out and he finds every lost sheep. And when he finds them, he forgives them. He takes their sin, the sin of wandering away from him over and over again. He takes that on himself. He bears the burdens of all their guilt. He wipes them clean. And when he does, he gives them a whole new identity. Listen, it's like being transferred from one household, the house of lost sinners that has marked you 
labeled you on your forehead all the days of your life. He rips off that marker and he newly identifies you. You have been transferred from the house of lost sinners to the household of found sheep. And forever you will stay in that household. You will no longer be identified by your sin ever again. From now on, as it is in heaven, so shall it be on the earth. You will forever be identified as belonging to the house of the Lord. You belong now. You belong not to this earth and the lost people that occupy it, but to a new place, a new house that is being prepared for you. And that house is not a brick and mortar thing. He is our home. And wherever He is, that's where home is. If you are in the Lord, you are home. It doesn't matter where He takes you. It doesn't matter if He takes you through the valley of the shadow of death or to lay down in green pastures. Wherever the shepherd is, I'm home. Because where He is, that's where my household is. And one other thing. Church is the gathering of the found sheep. We gather together as brothers and sisters all in the house of the Lord as one household. And we love the shepherd together and we grow more into his likeness. That's why we need one another. That's what the gathering, the assembly is all about. In case you're wondering if Jesus ever overlooks one of his sheep, if there's even the slightest possibility that he might forget one. That he might forget you. You might be sitting at home thinking, I'm so easy to overlook. You might be sitting at home thinking, all my life, people have overlooked me. I can go to a party and people don't even notice me. If that's you, I invite you to cling. Cling to these words of Jesus. Because he means them for you, personally. Will he overlook you? Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. That I shall lose none of those he has given me. None of those he has given me. But raise them up on the last day. For it is my father's will that everyone who looks to the son. And everyone who believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Friends, David knew a shepherd who sought after him, chased after him all the days of his life. Do you know him? Do you know him? Until he comes again, that's his mission. And he's included us in doing it. He is right now, at this moment, pursuing lost people. In this sermon, he's pursuing his lost sheep. And he will not stop until that very last one has been found. And when they have, he will take us home. Have you surrendered? 
Have you waved the white flag like David did? Do you know him that way? Have you been found? Do you know what it is to have a transferred identity from lost sinner to found saint, found sheep, transferred? A new house, a new identity. To close up this sermon series, I want to ask you three questions. Maybe the most important questions that anyone has ever asked you in your life. I'm going to give you three summary statements of what I've been trying to teach you or convey to you this morning, followed by three questions. Please look on your screen. Question number one, or statement number one. A lost soul is an unyielded soul. Are you relentlessly committed to doing your life your way? Listen to me. If your soul is unyielded, stubborn, you won't bend, you're going to do life your way, you can't be a Christian. You can't. A Christian is someone whose soul has been broken, whose spirit has been crushed, and they have been remade by the potter. And he's remaking you. And now you live a life of total submission. Question number two. A found soul is a surrendered soul. Have you yielded to the seeking shepherd? Have you let yourself get caught? He's relentlessly pursuing his sheep. Will you let yourself get caught? A surrendered soul is a found soul. Number three. A found soul identifies as belonging to the household of God. Do you identify as one of his household? Do you belong to a local flock where you're being trained to learn more about the shepherd and trained to follow him and to bring others to him? Can I just ask one more question that's not on your screen? Can someone really say, I know I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, but not want to dwell in the household of the Lord now? Not want anything to do with his people? Can someone really say that? Church, do you know him? Does he know you? I want to give you an opportunity right now to come to the Lord. A prayer doesn't save anybody, but it has to begin somewhere. There's no magic words in this prayer. But I invite you to Begin a relationship with the soul shepherd by confessing your need to surrender. It has to start there. It has to. Let me help you do that now. Maybe you might want to get on your knees. Oh, dear God, how great is the Lord. Great enough to pursue me into the depths of my filth into the pig slop that is my life. You came after me, running after me, and you pursue me all the days of my life. I pray, dear God, that for those who are at home that may have never surrendered, that now would be the day that they would look 
into the eyes of Jesus, staring back into their souls. That they would see a reflection of a shepherd whose goodness and mercy has been coming after them all the days of their life. And that today would be the day of salvation for someone. You haven't returned yet because there are still souls to be saved. Save someone, Lord. Now, in the hearing of my voice, save someone. May today be the day of repentance. The day of joy, of everlasting joy for someone who's laid down their running feet. And have laid into the arms of the shepherd who will carry them home to his bosom and hold them there all the days of their life. Father, be glorified in saving someone like that today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If this series has touched your heart, Dave Jones, our worship leader, has introduced our church to this new song, Surely Goodness and Mercy. I've introduced it to you at home. He's introduced it to the people who've been attending our church live on Sunday mornings. I invite you to sing it with a newfound understanding this morning. Would you stand and join Christians at Island Baptist all over the place as we sing this song together? God bless you all.